Hi again everyone, welcome to the channel. Today we're discussing Isaiah 53. At the beginning of this series, I told you that there were more messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah than anywhere else in any Old Testament prophet. Isaiah 53 is the most astounding of these prophecies regarding the Messiah. The entire chapter is about Jesus the Messiah. You can take every one of these verses and use them as an individual prophecy, or you can take the whole chapter and use it as one prophecy. Let's dig into this, because in this we find out not only who Jesus was, we find out what he did, what he gave us, who we are, and what we have. There's a lot in this, so I'm going to just pull apart the most important things, okay? Actually, all of it's really important. I'm not going to read all of this for you in this lesson, so I expect you to read Isaiah 53 on your own. But understand that the dominant theme of Isaiah 53 is that it is about the Messiah and what he did and what he gave us, okay? And also what he went through. Verse 1, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I'm going to stop right there. So many times God will say yea and amen to something. In other words, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. He promised us long life. He promised us prosperity. He promised us health. He promised us forgiveness of sins. All of those are yes and amen. And it's up to you to believe the report of the Lord because right here, God is saying, who has believed our report? And then he says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm refers to the strength of the Lord. It's been revealed to those who have believed what God said, who had enough guts, who had enough backbone to believe what God said. And the most important thing is that we believe that because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we have what God says we have. We can do what God says we can do because we are in Him. As I've said in 1 John 4, 17, as He is, so are we in this world. So, when it asks who has believed our report, are you saying, I have? Because I know that's what I'm saying. I have believed your report, God. And that report is that Jesus did all of the things that it says he did right here in Isaiah 53. Let's go through some of them. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no former comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is really important to remember because to begin with, Jesus wasn't what we would call an attractive person. He's not somebody who we would say, oh, I can see why God chose them. They're so attractive, they'll draw everybody to them. That's not how Jesus was. He had no comeliness. And then when he was on the cross, he was beaten so bad by Pilate's guards that he didn't even look human. He was worse than any human. The Bible says that he was not recognizable as a human. His visage, his visage, his face, was marred so badly. But he was already not attractive to begin with, and then he was beaten to where he didn't even look human. That is amazing. And there's nothing in us that will draw us to him. And I know that that sounds like a little bitty deal to you, but that's a really big deal because, as my husband always says, about some pastors, that they're weird, that they look weird, and he will not follow them if they look weird or if they sound weird. There's a really good pastor out of Texas and her name is Terry Savelle Foy 
and I really like Terry Savelle Foy. I like her dad, Jerry Savelle, but Terry Savelle Foy has one of the highest pitched voices on the planet. She has blonde hair, big blue eyes. She looks like everything that you ever expect a Texas woman to look like. That's Terry Savelle Foy. And when my husband first heard her on TV, he would not listen to her because of her voice. It was so off-putting to him, it drove him away. And of course he listened to what she had to say and was drawn in and the Lord got a hold of him and it was great. But at first he was like, whoa. But then there are other pastors like Trey Johnson, who is a team roper, who speaks my husband's language. In other words, he can understand him. He's not a weirdo. He looks normal. And so he, my husband, is very drawn to him. And we as people typically are not drawn to people that we think are weird or that we think are ugly. I mean, I know that that's a little bit astounding to you, but it's absolutely true. And there is nothing in Jesus, in his physical makeup, that makes us attracted to him, somebody that we want to follow. And the reason for that is so that we could follow the spirit in him and not be attracted to the flesh that he was surrounded with. Okay, verse three. He is despised and rejected by men. Notice it doesn't say he was despised and rejected by men. He is despised and rejected by men. So many people despise Jesus Christ. You, you know, there are so many people that believe God and believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you don't accept him, you don't accept the Father. And this is despising Jesus. Not obeying him, not accepting what he did on the cross, not believing in him, those are all things that are despising Jesus Christ. And it says he is despised and rejected by men. So many times in this last year, this 2020, I was just watching Andrew Womack and Andrew was saying that in 2020, we really got some revelation about the evangelical Christian population in this country. And the evangelical Christian population in this country, by and large, does not believe the Bible. Most of them, 72 million people, voted for a policy to kill children and for gay people to be married. I love gay people. I love anybody who's had an abortion. But those are sinful things. Those actions are wrong, period. I love the people, I hate the actions. And this right here, that is evidence that Jesus is despised and he's rejected by men. What Jesus said is rejected by men and Jesus is the Word of God and the Word of God is Jesus. Furthermore, the rest of verse 3 says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, we as people, hid as it were our faces from him. And beloved, I would venture to say that we still hide our faces from him. We hide from Jesus. We don't want him to see us in all of our shame. We don't want to see we don't want him to see us at all because we want to get away with what we want to get away with or we're ashamed of what we've been trying to get away with. And so we hide our faces from him. He says he was despised and we didn't esteem him. What is so amazing about this is that it came true in Jesus' life on this earth, but even now, we as a people group, we still don't esteem him when he's despised. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they step on your toes religiously. For example, I had a conversation with a woman a few weeks ago and she told me that she thought that whatever way you wanted to follow to get to God, you could. And that's wrong. And I came against her for that and I said, the Bible says there's only one way. But would you? 
to keep the conversation peaceful, would you just not say anything? Because that's what this verse says that people do. Even though Jesus is being despised, we don't esteem him. We, his followers, the ones who say we believe in him, we don't defend him. We don't esteem him. We agree with them. And that's not okay. Moving on. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, he was sorrowful. He bore our griefs. And we thought that he was being hurt by God. And he's not being hurt by God. He's being hurt by our sin. When Jesus went to the cross, God didn't do it. The Romans didn't do it. The Jews didn't do it. Your sin and my sin is what did it. We essentially sent Jesus to the cross, not God. And that's what this is saying. We thought that God was sending him to the cross, but God wasn't. It was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. See? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Notice the tense. It doesn't say we were healed. It says we are healed. And then in the New Testament, this verse is quoted in 1 Peter 2.24. It says by his stripes we were healed. So we are healed at the cross, and now, this side of the cross, now we were healed. And so you don't have to walk in sickness and disease anymore. The Bible says you were healed. You were healed at the cross. Because you see, beloved, the reason for death in this world, the reason for sickness in this world, the reason for pain in this world, the reason for any kind of disorder or malfunction of the body in this world is because of sin. So if there's no sin because Jesus took it, then there should be no sickness because Jesus took that too. 1 Peter 2.24 says that he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses in his own body on the tree that we might live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. This verse combines salvation with healing because if there's no sin, then there's no sickness. You don't have to live with sickness because Jesus took it. He took all of it for all time. He took all sin for all time. It doesn't matter when you sinned, before you met Jesus or after you met Jesus, Jesus took it. Now, the question is, do you want to pay for the sin that you've committed or do you want to accept the free gift that Jesus gave you? Because the Bible says the wages of sin are death. Somebody has to pay the wage. It's either you or Jesus. Which will it be? Okay? And so the other thing is that people will say to me, well, it's okay to get forgiveness for sins that you committed before you were a Christian but not after because then you can't get forgiveness forgiveness for those sins. You have to get them under the blood and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Well, that's not true because every sin that you committed ever was after the cross, was future, if you will, to the cross. And so we better hope that Jesus has forgiven all future sin because if he didn't, then none of us are forgiven because we're all after the cross. So right here tells us that we don't have to accept sorrow and grief and sickness and disease. We don't have to because Jesus took our sin and he took our diseases. It says that we went astray like sheep. It says we have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid all of this, all of our wrongdoing, all of our turning away on him. He laid it on him. 
every time you've ever not read the Bible, every time you've ever cheated on your spouse, every time you've ever told a lie, every time you've ever drank too much, every time you've ever speeded or committed a felony and gotten put in prison, God is not holding that to your account. Now, if you go to him and you say, Lord, I reject Jesus and I want to pay for it, then of course you'll get the wrath. But you have the choice to say, no, I want the payment that Jesus made for me. And those sins are completely wiped out and you don't have to pay for them in terms of God. It says right here that we went astray like sheep, but that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter and didn't protest. He could have very easily said, I'm not the one who did this. He didn't do anything, but he didn't even protest. Why didn't he protest? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And if he would have opened his mouth, then you and I couldn't have gotten saved in that moment. Right here it says in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Notice it doesn't say it pleased the Lord to kill him. It said it pleased the Lord to bruise him because God knew that Jesus would be resurrected from the dead. But why did it please God to bruise Jesus? Because it meant our salvation. When it says it pleased God to bruise him, not remember I told you that God isn't the one who sent him to the cross, but he did allow Jesus to go to the cross for you and me. Essentially, he allowed himself to go to the cross for you and me because he loved us that much. Beloved, this, Isaiah 53, is what Jesus bought for you at the cross. Study it, learn it, live it. But most of all, remember that Jesus loves you and that I love you.